Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Digital Workplace Podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Steven Rogelberg. He is the Chancellor's Professor at the UNC Charlotte. He's also the author of The Surprising Science of Meetings and the recipient of the Humboldt Award for his research on the science of meetings. We love talking about meetings here on the Digital Workplace. Dr. Rogelberg, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Great. Before we get started, we've got a lot of things to cover, but I want to make sure that we are talking to a real-life human as we get this show going. So your check-in question, your CAPTCHA question is, what is the coolest thing you could pull out of a Cracker Jack box? That is an easy one. All right. So what I want to pull out of my Cracker Jack box is a new mountain bike. Now, granted, <laughs> nice. that, will, that will have to be a big box of Cracker Jacks, but still, given it's a hypothetical question, I'm going to go for the best prize possible. Fantastic. I feel like any kind of like, you got to have like the golden ticket that like comes out, then it makes it feel like, oh, wow, this is like really special, whatever it is, it could be like for a dollar off something. But if it was a golden (laughs) ticket, that's just feels cool. Excellent. Well, you are a man of many talents, uh, but you've decided to spend a lot of your time researching, studying meetings. How did you get involved? Like why, why did you pick meetings above everything else you could study? As an organizational psychologist, I'm drawn to study topics at work of significance, of meaning. Um, I'm drawn to topics that cause employees frustration as well. And I love the thought of conducting research to not only better understand the topic, but also to seek a path forward. And that's really what motivated me to start studying meetings uh, 20 years ago, um, because really, is there a topic of, you know, when you think about meetings, right, employees are spending an incredible amount of time in them. Mm. Um, But at the same time, we know there's a great deal of frustration and fatigue. I feel like it's like the thing we love to hate. Like we always hate on meetings. Like I'm in so many meetings. I hate being in meetings all day long. Yet we're always scheduling them. Like it's not like we're going to stop anytime soon. No. Like there's this love-hate relationship we have with it, right? It's true. Um, But a world without meetings is much more problematic. Um, (laughs) You know, meetings are really where organizational democracy uh, takes place, right? We need meetings for communication, coordination, cooperation, consensus decision-making, Um, Meetings are where this happens. Uh, So the goal is not to eliminate meetings. The goal is to eliminate bad meetings. And I feel like the transition into this more digital world that we're in, to me, it just highlighted the bad meetings that were there. You could still have great digital meetings, but the bad ones were just so obvious in in digital spaces. Like if you're you're sitting in a, a room, somebody walks in, they haven't prepared for it. They don't have an agenda. They're just like, hey, what do we want to talk about today? Like, you can kind of get through that and it's it's bad and should have been better. But man, it is painful when you're on that Zoom call and the same thing happens, right? Sure, absolutely. As a you know, meeting scientist, uh, COVID has been very good to me from an intellectual <laughs> perspective, yeah. right? It's taken this topic that I've been studying um, and it has just elevated interest in it. I mean, I do probably a keynote each week uh, for an organization how to move the dial on their meetings, you know, leveraging evidence and science. Um, 
meeting problems existed before COVID. It's just mm-hmm. the appetite for fixing them is so much higher right now. Wow. That's a great way to put it. Why, why do you think it was so low before? Why do you think we were so willing to put up with bad meetings? Organizations thought of meetings as um, bad meetings as just the cost of doing business. Hmm. And that is just so inappropriate. Um, you know, meetings can truly be competitive advantage for an organization, right? If you're the organization that gets their meetings done well, effectively, and efficiently, think about how that differentiates you from so many other organizations. Um, So I think with, you know, with the pandemic, you know, we just became much more sensitive to meetings because obviously the digital meeting became kind of the way of life. And, you know, fatigue due to meetings has existed for a long time. It's not a new phenomenon, but it was the interest in this notion of fatigue um, just incredibly increased um, during the pandemic. So, you know, basically the pandemic just provided a spotlight on this common activity that we really took for granted pre-pandemic. Excellent. Well, the topic of meetings is something that a lot of our audience, we've looked at before with different angles and and articles and things. So I'm going to jump into some more, what I'll call like advanced questions about meetings. So let's start off with the idea of setting ground rules or meeting norms or working agreements about meetings. There's lots of potential topics you could put in there about, okay, we always have video on and we always have video off or different things. What are just like three or four things that come to your mind as these are things as a team you should decide in these ground rules? So first of all, I love the idea of a team having a conversation (laughs) about what makes for a good meeting. Um, You know, right now, or historically, there's just been a dearth of conversation. There's been conversation around how miserable meetings make you, but a dearth of conversation around how to elevate meetings. Hmm. And so I, I love the idea of a leader talking to her or his team and saying, hey, you know, I want these meetings to truly work for us. What are the norms that we want to agree to have as a team to make sure that's the case? And, you know, let that the ideas flow um, because, you know, ultimately meetings are shared experiences. Now, with regard to the types of norms or rules that I think are so critical, um, you know, first of all, there's just this notion of constructive participation, right? Mm-hmm. So we need people to engage in the meeting, but we also need them to listen carefully in the meeting. And so that would be one set of standards, um, you know, from a you know structural perspective um, in the digital world. Yeah, I mean, video matters. Um, you know, without video, you know, our research shows that people just are not as present. Uh, mind, um, you know, uh, multitasking increases. Uh, so video um, builds presence. Now, granted, having video on can absolutely. Um, increase fatigue. However, the research shows that the best way to handle fatigue is have a good meeting. Magically, yeah. fatigue doesn't seem to happen when the meeting was incredibly constructive, which you know then brings me to my third ground rule, which is not really a ground rule for a particular meeting, but just a ground rule for operating as a team, which is be more careful and mindful of who to invite and who not to invite. Let's make sure that the people who come to the meeting actually have to be there. Let's not hold people captive to attend meetings just because we can easily access their calendars. 
So by shrinking, by getting people to kind of come to a common understanding of when to invite and when not to invite, we can keep these meetings lean. By keeping them lean, then they can be more productive. People have then more, um, if they don't need to be there, that block of time is given back to them so that they can structure their days in a way that they're most productive um, and ideally, hopefully finding opportunities to get into flow. Excellent. I think those are great rules to start with. I get the most, I think the most divisive issue that I ever talk about, like in terms of like 50-50 on, on each side is the idea of should you have your video on during your meetings or not? Some people are very adamant. We got to have the video on or else we're not connecting. Other people are like, hey, you do what you want to. And, and sometimes I find that a conversation can even be more engaging when I'm focused just on somebody's voice and not also trying to look at the screen um, and then I might get distracted by somewhere else. So I think there's a lot of variance in that and teams can can play around with those things. Ground rules are great because you can change them, right? Sure, absolutely. And definitely for certain types of meetings, uh, we don't need video. Um, I am a big advocate of when a manager has one-on-ones with their people, um, you know, go take a walk, right? People can just get on the phone, uh, speak to one another um, in that way, just to kind of diversify the meeting experience. Yeah. Because that's really what people are craving. Um, But generally, while people might say different things, the research really does suggest that the video has to be on um, to get maximum, maximum engagement. However, if you're a leader and you're requiring people to have their video on, you better do a really good job facilitating it. Yeah. Um, and so that becomes your responsibility. Your responsibility is to make sure that you're honoring people's time, that you're a good steward of others' time. Yeah. And so you have a job. If you're going to insist on video, then you've just raised the bar on your own performance. I do want to say that there's um, an additional uh, option that many people don't know about, which is you have your video on. However, you're able to turn off your self-view. And this is readily done. You know, if you're using Zoom, for example, you click those little three dots in the upper right-hand corner, and you'll see hide self-view. Hiding self-view is a great approach. Basically, when people see themselves... It presents very much like looking at yourself in the mirror. Yeah. And looking at yourself in the mirror for a whole, for a bunch of time is stressful. It's fatiguing. <laughs> it's draining. So the sweet spot is, you know, you tell people, hey, we need to have video on to create presence, but I only invited you to this meeting because I truly need your input. Um, and then once people see that they're in frame, then turn off self view. And their individual experience of the meeting will be different. If you don't see yourself, you can just feel the a lot of stress um, just flow off of you um, and allows you to really experience the meeting very much how we did pre-pandemic. Yeah. I mean, how many conference rooms out there have mirrors in them? Very few. Right. <laughs> That's a great, yes, absolutely true. Cool. Well, I, I want to run one idea past you. GitLab is a company we admire a lot at the digital workplace. They've done a lot to, to talk about digital work and putting things forward. They have an interesting policy, which says that if you are in a meeting and you feel like the current topic is not 
applicable for you or you don't have anything to, to add to it right away, you're welcome to do something else during the time. And then if people need you, they should like call on you specifically and then they, they will fill you in. This was something that to me felt like a little bit strange to say like, well, if, if I don't need to be there, maybe I shouldn't be there at all. And I can just check out. Do you have an opinion about that? What, what's your thought about being multitasking during these meetings? And is there any help to it? I like the spirit of it, but I don't agree with it. The When people multitask, it doesn't just affect their own behavior. It affects others' behavior. Um, it creates almost an implicit pressure for others to multitask as well hmm. and to not engage fully with the meeting. So it's not just a behavior that affects the individual doing it, but it actually affects others. Yeah. What I, I look at their recommendation as putting a Band-Aid on a bigger problem to solve. And the bigger problem to solve is a meeting leader, A, being much more thoughtful in who they invite or not invite, you know, B, a meeting leader thinking more carefully about how to structure a meeting. So, for example, if, um, you know, Sasha is only relevant for part of the agenda, well, create a timed agenda so Sasha can pop in and then pop out, right? So we can be more thoughtful um, about how we, you know, engage with people during the meeting. Yeah. And then finally, it goes back to that concept I said earlier, this notion of stewardship, which is really about active facilitation. If you've been careful with who to invite, and what I mean by being careful is that the people who you've invited are truly essential to addressing the topics of importance. And then you are an excellent facilitator so that you're elevating input from all then there's no room to multitask because you're where you need to be doing what you need to be doing. Excellent. I agree with you. I, I think that it's, I like the spirit of saying like, you don't want people to feel like they are you know, handcuffed to this meeting and they can't get out of it. And there are certain times when it does feel like, hey, I'm not needed. Is it okay if I check out right now? But you don't want to interrupt the meeting doing that. So I can see the reasoning behind it, but I agree that in general, it probably could have been prevented ahead of time. Right. Cool. There's one topic you talk about a lot that I feel like is really important, which is the role of silence in meetings. Typically, especially in a digital meeting, I feel like silence is even louder when no one's talking than when you're just in a conference room again. But you say it's actually very effective and we should be using it more. So tell us more about that idea. Thank you. Leaders have at their disposal a host of different approaches that they can leverage um, with the people they're meeting with. When everyone sits around a you know, a digital or actual table, right, that's actually a choice, right? They're assuming that this is the best way of, of tackling the issue at hand. We don't think of it as a choice because we just see it as, you know, standard, but it is a choice and it is a choice of a particular technique. What I advocate in my work is I want a leader to think through what approaches make the most sense given the challenge at hand. Now, going back to silence. Silence is an approach that can have very positive outcomes. Research shows that when you compare groups who brainstorm in silence, just typing directly into a computer, versus those brainstorming with their mouths, well, the silent brainstorming groups yielded nearly twice as many ideas, and those ideas tended to be more creative. 
And we can think of lots of reasons why that's the case, right? There's people, you're suggesting ideas and people, but not know, you know, you're not being influenced by someone else's ideas. Because one of the things we know about brainstorming is the very first thing said starts to shape the rest of the discussion. But in silent brainstorming, there's simultaneous generation of ideas. And everyone's able to talk at once in silent brainstorming. So if your task at hand is to, you know, brainstorm ideas, I mean, silence is a fabulous approach for the group to use. And they, you know, they can actively brainstorm in writing. Then, you know, we can start to create connections amongst the ideas. Things could be grouped together. You know, then that allows for easy voting on which ideas to maybe pursue in further discussion, what have you. So when you put this all together, silence just becomes one of these approaches that depending on what you're trying to achieve could be fabulous and you know every approach we do tends to privilege someone over the other mm. so in a meeting where everyone's able just to talk freely around the table you, know, you could imagine someone with good oral communication skills or maybe someone who's an extrovert might really thrive in that situation right but that's just one type of person right so you could easily imagine that if you do a meeting um in part silent now you're privileging other types of people right you're privileging people who perhaps are better writers than speakers maybe people who are more shy so what you want to do over time in your approach to meetings is to make sure that everyone has a situation where they can be their best selves and silence is just another technique for getting us there yeah, that's such an important point. I'm glad you made it. Just the, the idea of inclusion when it comes to meetings. And that's if all your meetings were in person all together at the same time, then people who were fast processors spoke loudly and very confident, like they thrived, like they were seeing well, and they were probably able to get a lot of benefits out of that, not just in that meeting, but then were more seen for promotions and other things like that. Whereas in a digital meeting, you have this opportunity to include lots of different styles with that. And it's, it's just a great point you've made. Thank you. Cool. And next, let's talk a little bit about within our, our world, we talk about durability of communication. Sometimes I'm saying that there's some communication that needs to be very durable. It needs to be last for a long time, easily accessible and other communications, just fleeting. It just um, is here one minute and then gone the next minute and it's fine. When it comes to meetings, this is, I feel like you see this play out a lot because there's a lot of things that are discussed in meetings that should be very durable. You're making important strategic decisions or you're assigning some important roles to different people and other things that are like, hey, if we forget that, it's fine. We're just going to move on that one comment or one joke that went on. So what do you recommend for, for capturing the ideas and for taking those durable things out and putting them somewhere else? What's a good system to do that during meetings? Before talking about a system, what I want to emphasize is that a meeting needs a closing. That five minutes before a meeting is scheduled to end, approximately, the meeting leader should start the closing process. That closing process is about capturing that durable communication that you refer to. It's the closing is where we say, okay, what have we actually decided and who's directly responsible for leading on that? What are the issues that we haven't completed and we will move those to our next conversation? This closing then 
really provides the opportunity to make sure that the investment that everyone just made in this meeting is captured and the commitments realized. So many meetings don't have a strong closing. And so that's the, that's the primary thing is to have a closing. With regard to how, you know, what tools or techniques are used to capture what's in the closing, I actually don't really care all that much. <laughs> you know, you can capture them in a running Google Doc. You can capture them in meeting notes on Outlook. I don't really care what approach you use to capturing it. I just want you to have that closing. And um, so let's focus on the closing as opposed to the technique um, used to capture the closing. Um, because really, there's, um, there's just so many different ways of, of capturing um, you know, what was discussed in the meeting. That's an important point to make, just like the closing is so important because, man, we get to so many meetings and it's like, hey, we're out of time. All right, everyone, catch you next week. And then we just stop. Right. <laughs> That's and, right. And, right. It's, a, it's terrible. Um, you know, and it's a blind spot for us. We don't even realize that, you know, we failed. Um, and, you know, at the same time, an opening is really important where we help people bridge the gap between what they were doing before the meeting and the meeting itself. So to the extent that we really welcome people, um, that we, you know, we, we engage with them, we express our appreciation and gratitude, even the leader's mood state matters. Hmm. And that the research shows that the mood the leader brings into the meeting is the most predictive factor of the mood state of other people in the meeting. So this opening of the meeting really sets the stage for a constructive conversation. And then obviously the closing to the meeting just helps to bring, bring it all together, you know, uh, with the ultimate hope that when the meeting ends, no one leaves saying, I don't know what we discussed or concluded. Great. Well, Dr. Rogelberg, my last question to end off in is just what are some of your favorite meeting add-on tools? There's a lot of things that have come up recently to make digital meetings better. Are there any things that you're really excited about? You mentioned Google Docs, which was there before, but uh, sure. are there other, other tools that you're seeing that are like, hey, if you're going to try one thing this year, try this one out? Meaningful tools, um, tools that allow for digital whiteboards, tools that promote voting, tools that capture the conversation, you know, through audio transcriptions. Um, you know, there's different mirror boards. I mean, there's lots of different tools that can be leveraged and all can find a good place. No tool though is going to save a meeting. The meeting success will always fall on the leader effectively leading facilitating and engaging people. So the tools will not rescue us. When the leader is committed to active stewardship and facilitation, then the tools can be extremely helpful for realizing, um, realizing meeting success. 
But I often find that too many people think that the t- using a tool in and of itself will have will lead to positive outcomes, and it just won't. It always will come back to that meeting leader really thinking carefully in advance about the meeting and executing effectively. This is similar to, let's say, your world of podcasting, right? That when you think about having a successful podcast, you know, we could have the best audio equipment, we could have all this great stuff, but it doesn't really matter. It's going to come down to how well you honor your guest time, construct a conversation, act nimbly, write flexibly, and listen in a deep way and establish some you know great norms of engagement, which you did a very nice job with today. I was nervous. You were going to tell me oh, <laughs> I need to work on those things. No, no, it's it's absolutely right. I mean, the root of the thing you're trying to do is have a good meeting. No matter what, you know, polls you throw in or different things, it's going to be distractions on some level. Like you got to get the basics right. And I, I feel like after running meetings for a few years, like I'm never going to get perfect at it. Like I always feel like every meeting's a new chance to try something new. So I appreciate that encouragement. Awesome. Well, great. So the book is The Surprising Science of Meetings. Uh, Where can people go to learn about the book and more about your work? I have a website. It's stevenrogelberg.com, stevenrogelberg.com, or thesurprisingscience.com. And this is a really good resource website. I have tons of materials and tools and papers that people can access. I also have links, um, you know, where obviously people can buy the book. Uh, so I would say check out the the webpage. Um, there's you know, even descriptions of the various uh, keynotes I do, as well as recordings. So there's just a lot of material there that I think can be very helpful to people. Absolutely. I spent a lot of time on it earlier. So it, there's a ton of great stuff there. Uh, Dr. Rogelberg, thanks so much for being on the show. We will put all those links in the show notes and we look forward to staying in touch. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you can. Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice-a-month newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level 5 digital workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.